0: Last week we spoke about tzitzis is for one's own sake and has a specific power when you're wearing the garment. So we talked about clothing in general and tzitzis as an extension of clothing. This week, excuse me, I want to talk about some other aspects of these three words. V'hayalachem tzitzis. It will be for you tzitzis because, as we kind of noticed when we reread this sentence, these two sentences. Speak to the Jewish people and tell them to make tzitzis, and it will be for you tzitzis. Well, if you make tzitzis, certainly it should be tzitzis. What else would it be, right? So there are, and, and the vehaya and why vehaya and which is a language of joy. So each of these, there's all these, still these different aspects that we haven't covered on a word-by-word basis. So I want to start drilling down through some of those. One of the questions that we have is, Ve'haya, it will be, not ve'hayu, they will be. And because of that, because it's in the singular, it tells us that it's referring to something singular, which is the thing that was just referred to, which is the pasil teche'les, the strand of blue. So in other words, the strand of blue shall be for you, as tzitzis which is an interesting uh diuk, an interesting careful look at the language in other words if we think of tzitzis in terms of hatsata peering or peeking pisil chayeles the strand of blue the hayalaham tzitzis will be for you like a, a people it'll be something that has the effect of tzitzis of hatsata that when you look at it it will have the effect of causing you to remember the sea, which will remind you of the he, firmament, which will remind you of the ha hakavod, or isem oso. So then, when it says and you will see it, or him, you will see him, right? But in Hebrew, we don't have it. It's referring to the pasil techelis, the strand of blue. You will see it, and you'll remember all the mitzvot. So that's one approach to understanding the grammar of those words. Vehaya is Lashon Simcha. Chazal say whenever it says vehaya, it means joyous things are coming your way. It's happy. So just put it together. It will be, it's something happy. V'haya lachem What What's happy? The fact that you have a tool that allows you to see a little bit past the sheer physical nature of things and recognize that they have spirituality behind them. That's joyous. It's a happy occasion when you can see the world as being more than what it is on the surface. Rav Hirsch, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this at, um, I'm pretty sure we talked about this at Purim time. Rav Hirsch distinguishes between Vayehi and Vehaya. Well, he doesn't only, Chazal do, but he he teases apart Chazal's explanation or their statement. Which is that Vayahi, I actually have the Chazal here. The Gemara and Megillah says, "Amr Rabbi Levi ve'Esama Rabbi Yonasan, Davar Zemisores bi'adenu me'Anche Hakdola." This is a tradition, a Masora that we have passed down to us from the men of the great assembly. Kol makom shenamar Vayehi Enoela Lashon Saar. Every place where the Torah says vayehi, and it was, that is a, uh, a terminology of pain. Tsar, of pain, or of suffering. Oh. Okay? And the Gemara gives examples. Vayihi bimei Rosh, And it was in the days of achashrei Rosh. That is alerting you to the fact that there is suffering coming, who, which is Haman. Vayihi bime it was in the days of the judging of the judges. That's the opening of Megillus Rus, coming up soon, in a shul near you. <laughs> it was in the days of the judging of the judges, and then there is the ra'av. There was a famine. And I'm going to ask you at the end of this page to tell me, do you want to do a pre, pre-shavuoshir, or should we save that for Shavuos? <laughs> Because that's the question. It's a very interesting shear, but it's a little bit more about rusts than it is about Baha'i Elohim. So we have a choice, a fork in the road coming up. We have to make good choices. like you had... Other, other ideas for for topics for shavuos. I have lots of ideas for topics for shavuos. So I've got this thing is like so thick. I don't know how we'll ever decide what we'll talk about for Shibuos. so Okay. We could do like lots of options. I haven't heard yet how many speaking slots we're opening up. So we have to put it together. And how much I think we want to hear from from the women, how much they think they can come right. to hear room You know, if they stay up late. If you know, if you're up till two in the morning or later. The first night, you're going to want to go to shir in the afternoon, you don't want to sleep in the afternoon. So I think something, something we should discuss, but not in the middle of this year. Right. So that was just a heads up that you're going to have a decision point coming up. Okay, so what Rav Hirsch teases out from the fact that Chazal tell us that vayihi is lashon tsar, pain, and Vehaya is lashon simcha, joy. Okay, already you're thinking, ah, we keep talking about this. The pain and the joy, the dark and the light, freedom of the night, freedom of the day, right? the idea that we go through dark times, times of pain, and we go through, end up with joyous times, times of happiness. Good morning, Mommy. Look, Mrs. Khan came. That's so nice. Do you mind closing the door also? Yeah, thank you. Okay. So Reverse points out, Vayahi. So this is a very, you're going to have to hold two ideas in your mind over here, or four, because... As the Mishnah says, two which are really four. Or four which are really two. Vayahi, the way we translate that is, and it was. But if we break it down, what you have is vav, and. Which we're using in accordance with the grammatical concept. With a grammatical concept that says that there's such a thing as a vav hifuch. Avav, which reverses, so that when avav, this is common in the Torah, that when avav is in front of a word, we say that the tense of the word flips. So that's what you have here. Vayehi. The word yehi means there will be. Like yehi or God said, let there be light. Like yehi, there will be light. Doesn't mean let there be. It means there will be light, and there was light. Okay. Yahi means it will be. Vayahi means and it will be. Like kind of in a really, really technical, literal sense. Vayahi means and it will be. And yet we translate that as and it was. Past, we, we turn it from the future to the past. That's called Vav Hifuch. The reversing Vav. The Vav that causes time to travel in the opposite direction. Okay. That's why I said this is four, which is really two. Vihaya, which we said is a happy word, which means and it was, means and it shall be. Vihaya refers to the future and it shall be. But if you would break down the pieces literally and not use the concept of a reversing vav and just say, what if it wasn't reversing? You'd say it means and it was, not and it will be. The words... Be- mean the opposite, because the words themselves are time-bound words. They're referring to a look at time. And then you put in front of them a that reverses the time, and what you get is the opposite of what you said. So what reverse says is that in looking at the sort of literal breakdown of the word, what you're seeing is the perspective which the Torah is calling upon you to stand in. You remember, we mentioned this at Purim time, because I was so excited when I heard this idea. And it was applicable. It's from the Gemara Megillah. Okay, so Reverse says, when we say "vayahi," and it was, the Torah is calling upon us to read this passage from the point of view of the past, where someone who is standing at that time, let's say 100 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or 2,000 years ago, for them, it's Yehi. It's what will be. They don't know how the story is going to come out. Everything is yet in the future for them. That's Lashon Tsar. That's painful. Wherever we are standing and where the unfolding of events is not yet visible to us, that's painful. We worry. We don't know how it will be. It seems like it's bad. We don't understand the whole picture, how it's going to play out. So from the point of view, when the Torah calls upon us to see something from the perspective of someone who is in the moment of what is being told, that is Lashon sar, Because they cannot yet see how it will unfold. That is Yehi, Va Okay, When the Torah tells us Vihaya, which means it will be in the future, what the Torah is saying is, I want you to put yourself in the frame of reference, in the perspective of someone who is standing at that time in the future, where, from their point of view, it's "haya, it was. However this story is going to unfold is going to be seen from the point of view from someone who already saw it unfold completely. That's lashon simcha. That's happy. Mm-hmm. Every story has a happy ending. But we don't always, you know, till we see the ending. It takes a really long time. From the point of view of not seeing the ending, things are sometimes tough. It's tsar. It's difficult. It's painful. If we see the whole picture all the way to the ending, every story has a happy ending, which is a great title. I think that's what it's going to be called. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so bad at titles that I have to write it down if I think of one. Okay. Now, I just want to connect this. I, I don't always like doing this because it can be a distraction, but I think this is actually a useful piece of... I was going to say pop psychology. I don't think it's pop psychology. It's modern psychology. So, And not so much from the field of psychology as from the v- field of what's known now as behavioral economics. So the economics, meaning understanding why people make the choices that they do, usually from the point of view of, so how can you sell them things? Or what do they choose to buy? Or something like that. Let's behavioral economics. How does... How does a person's psychology, how can we understand their psychology to understand how this will play out in their behavior and in their economic behavior? So there is a great concept there. I didn't go back and like look back in my reference books to see who originally came up with it. I'm sure that I probably saw it first from Daniel Kahaneman just because I've read a lot of his stuff, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a big thick book and so, so worth reading just in terms of getting non-threatening insight into how you may think about things and help you make better choices. Like, I realize this is not a self-help book. It's essentially a magnum opus of all the best research from the last 30 years on the topic of behavioral economics and cognitive decision-making theories. It's very readable. It's just very long. <laughs> and it's very practical. Like you can think through the thought exercises yourself and see did you in fact follow the pattern that they describe and if so then you can become aware of that and use that awareness to help you make better decisions. So it's awesome that way. It isn't musser, it isn't psychology, it isn't it's just very practical observation based stuff. Okay. So this is a theory that comes out of that field which is The experiencing self versus the remembering self. Okay, so this is not—I'm not talking about this. It's not Torah per se. Okay, but think about this. Is a way of thinking about how does someone make a decision? When I decide, should I buy the shirt that's ten dollars or should I buy the shirt that's fifty dollars? So one way of thinking about how I make that decision, how I grapple with it. Some people don't grapple too much. They just seem to. But if I slowed down the thought process, what would be the pieces? Part of it is trying to um, to imagine in my mind two different ways I might feel about this. One is my experiencing self. Right? I'm trying to feel, how do I feel about this now? How will I feel if I take the money out of my wallet and buy the shirt? How will I feel about the $10 shirt? And how will I feel about the $50 shirt? Will I feel excited? Or will it, right? we, we do this sort of like, it's like a temperature reading within ourselves to see how am I going to feel. But there's also a measurement of taking the temperature of my remembering self. In a week from now, or a month from now, or a year from now, how will I feel about the fact that I bought the shirt? How will I feel about having bought any shirt? How will I feel about having bought a $10 shirt? How will I feel about having bought a $50 shirt? And we do this. I mean, we actually do take the temperature of these different selves, so to speak, not, not realizing that we're thinking, how, would I, how am I going to feel about this now? How am I going to feel about this down the line? My experiencing self versus my remembering self. Generally speaking, and they do not have the same reactions the experiencing self, and the remembering self do not react to things the same way. Which can be tricky, because there's something to be said for the moment, but there's a lot to be said for all the other moments in your life, which are going to outnumber, by far, the moment that you're in now. On the other hand, all the the in-the-now moments also add up to something. So you can't just discount completely the remembering self the experiencing self because if you do that you can end up just going bust because how how much can you never feel so there are most are concepts that far better correspond and relate to these things but this is something that you may come across you may see and it's interesting and simple i think there's something to be said for this concept of experiencing self for thinking about how we see things as is this a decision based on my experiencing self, or is this an, a decision based on my remembering self, how my remembering self will feel about it? If you compare that to the vihaya and the vayahi, the vayahi is, in a way, put yourself, I'm, I'm just trying to make it easier to understand Rav point about the vayahi mm-hmm. and vahaya. Vayahi calls upon you to think about your experiencing self. How does it feel in the moment? How would it feel for the person in that moment how would their experiencing self feel about the situation? And the answer is tsar. And when the Torah says v'haya, put yourself in the point of view, in the perspective of that same person, but their remembering self, that it was haya, It was in the past. And from the point of view of that same person's remembering self, how are they going to feel about it? That's simcha. That's happy. And that is how we really experience the world. OK. So tzitzis thought about in this light, which, like I said, it's not in and of itself Torah, but it's observable and useful, and I think uh, puts a more modern and uh, latch on takeawayable way of thinking about what Rav Hirsch said about that is tzitzis is a way to trigger the remembering self. Thehaya lachem letzitzis. It's a way of giving you insight. Tzitzis, as in peering ahead, into another field, into another plane. Tzitzis, this concept of tzitzis, is a concept of it's something that's in this moment. You experience it in this moment, and yet it gives you insight into your future self, your remembering self, so that you can make a decision that's more intellectually based and less emotionally based. Or maybe emotional is not the right word, physically now based. You can make a decision based on the long-term picture, which is, to a great extent, the role of the intellect, versus how your body feels about wanting it right now, which is more an emotional pull. And that's the tzitzis. There's a way that you can look at things. It's taking it away from the tzitzis themselves. There's a way that you can look at things. You can use your eyes to look at things in such a way as to trigger not your immediate right now experiencing self-reaction, but you can actually use it to trigger your thinking, intellectual, remembering self, long-term view reaction. That's a rather surprising idea at first, because we all notice that Shema tells us Right, we already had it in Vihaya, Right, he right? shamru lest you wander after your heart. And over here, there it says, don't watch out that you don't wander after your heart. And over here it says, be careful that you don't go after your heart and your eyes. And we know your eyes. You know they can lead you. You have to watch your eyes. You have to be careful what you look at so it won't lead you wrong. But the Torah is telling us something a little bit different here. It's also saying, the there is a way to look at things that will trigger a better way of making your decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's not that a person would be better off with no eyes at all. It's that we have to know how to use them. It's not just close your eyes, don't look, avoid the bad stuff. It's that somehow there's actually a way to use your eyes that's good. So that will be a topic we're coming to. But for the moment, if we can see things from the perspective of vihaya, that is lashon simcha. That is the path to to happiness. Which, just to remind you, because I've said it only 6,000 times, Rabbi Orlowick says, happiness is a function of knowing purpose. T'cheles, p'sil t'cheles, t'cheles is a word like t'cheles, purpose, objective, end goal, t'cheles. If you can see the p'sil t'cheles, if you see the strand that leads to your objective, then that's happy. Happiness is a function of knowing purpose. T'cheles vihaya. One after the other. I didn't hear him say it on that Pesach. But nonetheless, it's true. Okay, so now you get to, to take a vote. The vote is, do we do a little section here today that ties in perhaps a little bit more to Shavu'is, but the real issue is um, that it takes us back to the focus on maybe not looking. Which, which we're coming up on again. I mean, we are coming up to don't follow your heart and your eyes. So there's a little bit more of that angle over there. Do we want to look at the power of not looking? Or do we want to keep going straight forward and maybe start to approach the power of looking, which <laughs> would maybe be more where I would be likely to go if it wasn't one week to Shavuos. You get to vote. Either way, you'll probably hear both of them somewhere along the line. <laughs> it seems a logical proge- progression to go from not looking to looking okay. more than looking to okay. not looking. OK. I would think so too, except the Pusuk did otherwise. Yeah, which is a <laughs> The Pusuk went from, from looking to not looking. Right. Any other? OK. So we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the not looking, even though it's out of order from the Pusuk. But we would have gotten to it anyway. Mm-hmm. So in the big picture of things, we'll still learn it all. And in the short picture of things, maybe we'll be happy for Shavuos going in. Okay, it, uh, The truth is, both of them tie into Shavuos. So we couldn't have gone too far wrong. All right, So this is the Gemara that I quoted before. The Gemara in Megillah, Dafyud ve Davarzem this is a tradition handed down to us, teacher to student, father to son, mother to daughter. In our hands, from the Anche Knesset Hagdola, the men of the Great Assembly, which is the Sanhedrin, roughly at the time of the beginning of the second Basham HaMikdash. Komakom Vayehi, every place where the Torah says Vayehi, and it was eno el Lashon Tsar. This is only an expression of pain. The example, the first example is in Esther, the first pasuk in Esther, Vayihibimei Achashverosh. The story of Esther is introduced with, and it was in the days of Achashverosh. And that's referring to Haman coming up. Obviously, at the end of the story, every story has a happy ending, right? But at the beginning, it's introducing a period of tsar. Vayihibimei shvot ha which is the introduction to Megillas Rus, as we said. It was in the days that the people judged their judges, or it was in the days that the judges were judging who and then it Heverav, and then the Torah tells the Megillah tells us, and there was a famine in the land. The Haksiv. Now the Gemara goes on to ask, this is a little break in the Gemara here. Okay. The Gemara goes on to ask, well, what about in the Torah? Where it says Vayehi Arab Vayehi Voker Yom mm-hmm. and it was evening and it was morning one day, would you? Say, and it says the same thing on the second day and the third day. Would you say that that's bad or painful? Let's see here if I put the notes in. I did. Good. Okay. Amaravashi. Ravashi. Ko No, no, no. Every time it says vayihi, it doesn't mean it's pain. It's vayihi bime. It was in the days. It's not the word vayihi on its own that's painful. It's that if you have it was in the days, so that the vayihi is sending you back to a certain time period, in particular, to, to stand in, that's when it's alashon sar. And there are five cases of vayhi Me in Tanakh. vayhi bimei achashverosh, vayhi bimei shvotashoftim, vayhi amraphel. It was in the days of Amraphel. It's the war between the five kings and the four kings. And in Yeshaya, vayhi bimei achaz, and Vahibime bimei yehoiachim. Now, this is from the next passage. Is from Rus Rabbah, which is the Medrash on Rus. Asa Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani. Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani said, every place that it says Vayehi, that's tsara. Tsara doesn't mean exactly the same thing as tsaar. Tsaar is pain. Sara is a difficulty, which causes you pain. But it's, the it's a little bit different. And vihaya is Simcha. That's what we just said. And what about the fact that the Torah says... Vayomer Elokim Yehi Or. The, God said there will be light, Vayehi Or. And there was light. <coughs> How could you say that God's creation of light is anything other than happy? OK, so Shmuel bar Nachmani over here is saying not the same as the conclusion that Rav Ashi said. Rav Ashi said, no, 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 it's only if it's Vayehi Bimei. And Rav Shmuel bar Nachmani is saying, no, 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 it's any time it's Vayehi. But now I have a problem. How could I, what kind of nerve would I have to say, or God said, this is the very first in the Torah, let there be light, and there was light. That that's pain? That's, that's the biggest joy that there is. We know that when, when we talk about God creating light into the world, that is also includes within it not only physical light or electromagnetic light, but the whole light of all his blessing and the light of the Torah into the world. And he answers, yes, but when it says, Yehi Or, let there be light, grab a finish. It's followed by, Vayehi Or. What happened in the space between, Yehi Or and Vayehi Or? Well, I don't know, did something happen? I mean, my goodness, it's one word after another. What? He or vay he or. But what something, is there is a gap. Yeah, don't know, forget, we don't know how long, right? The, the, the concept of time in the early days of creation is not anything we can mm-hmm. wrap our heads around. Then Hashem the light. That's right. I was looking to see if I could find the Rashi. Don't find the Rashi, okay. So I'll just read from here. God created a first light, but the world did not merit to use that light that was created only on that first day. That light was a light that was created and with which a person would be able to see from one end of the world to the other. A light that reaches everywhere. Pause for a moment. Right. Oy <laughs> Oy post-its. Okay. I'm expecting more today. <laughs> I ordered more. Okay. Vikivan, but since Shara'a, God saw, that in the future there would be wicked people who would be born. Kidor Enosh, like the generation of Enosh who began to rebel against God and worship other forces, the Anshe Dor Hamabul, and the generation of the flood, who left all morality, all propriety, all kindness behind them, Vidor Haflaga, the generation of the dispersion, who sought to rebel directly against a God that they knew perfectly well was there, and wanted to go with their own might. Anche Sodom, like the people of Sodom who were so cruel to one another, God took that first light and he put it away. He hid it away. Mignaz, it's hidden. As the verse says in Eo Vaim, Nammi Rashaim Orem, God restrained or held back from the wicked their light. Veganazo, and he hid it away. He Ganzo is to stash away, but it, it's not l'achviy or lachasot It's not to cover it. It means to put away something valuable. You know, it's like you put it in a safe, for safekeeping. He kept it for safekeeping, la tzadikim lavo, for the righteous in the time to come. As it says in Tehillim, or zarua la light is planted for the tzaddik. Oh, that's Interesting. So Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani just came and said, every time it says Vayihi, it's sad. So you might have a question, how could you possibly say that in the creation of light itself, there's pain? The answer is there's Yihi Or and there's Vayihi Or. God created a light that was much more powerful, much more intense, much more visual as well, but revealing internally, externally, and spiritually, physically, and he put it away. That, holding back, you know, the word sara, which we said means difficulty, right, sara means narrowness, a restriction. There's a restriction that happened, a restricting process, not restriction as in forbiddenness, a restricting process that happens in, there, in the gap between yihi or and vayihi or. So there is a little, a little point, even in this great happiness in the creation there is, even within this, a little point of pain. Okay. Now, I saw this, this collection of things. We're not only going to take it in, not only. I'm not fully going to use what's here. This is a sefer called Edrate Zone on Megillus Rus. It's written by Neiman, Rabbi Abatzvi Naiman. He once came here. He was here. I remember he was at a meal in the backyard on Shabbos. Amazing, amazing safer. My brother told me about the safer. He also he wrote the book about the different cities of Eretz Yisrael in accordance with Torah. That's the same author. So if you read the book, you know what I'm talking. about. It's like really awesome. This is on Rus, but it covers like all kinds of things. It's a little heavy in the Kabbalah, which <laughs> I don't, you know, understand. So like I said, we're not going to take the whole passage from here. But there's some very interesting ideas that are helpful for what we're talking about, including Yihi and Vayihi and Ros. OK. So he, he brings from here a Zohar, and very generously translates it into Hebrew below, because the Zohar's written. I've got two things coming up here that are both passages from Zohar. One from a Shir I heard, too, and it's like, whoa, OK. Yeah, so this Zohar is written in Aramaic for the most part, a sort of mixed Aramaic. And so its, own, it's its own Aramaic. It's not the same as even the Gemara, which I also don't know Aramaic of the Gemara. But even what I would know from that, it's not the same Aramaic that the Zohar is written in, or not quite the same dialect or era. Okay, But he translated it into Hebrew. Kivon shekosov or. So now I'm going, to, I'm going to read. But the words themselves, now this is the Hebrew. This isn't the Zohar. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter exactly that I read these words. Once it says yehi or, the Zohar says, why does it have to say vayehi or? It could have just said vayehi and it was so. But the yehi is the first light, which is, which corresponds to the right, the right hand. Let's just think about that in terms—not not going kabbalistic too far over here. We won't follow the lead of the Zohar entirely. Let's say. OK, but if we think of the Pasuk, the left hand pushes, the right hand draws near, right? Rav Wasserman said, whenever you're dealing with people, the left hand, the pushing away, the rejecting hand, the restraining, the withdrawal, the awe, the respect, that should be the left hand. The drawing near hand should be the right hand, the closeness, the love, the affection, the wanting to be near the right hand. And right hand is stronger than left hand. If you're left-handed, then in Torah your left hand is your right hand, Mm -hmm. because right means the strong hand. Mm -hmm. Okay, so almost entirely halachically, a left-handed person—it's just that their right hand is on their left side. It's not, yeah. Okay, it's not that there's something bad. It's we don't go for the sinister business. Like (laughs) that's not okay. Rav Simcha also used to say, it's not just that you should. Push, you, you do, first of all, it means there is a certain amount of distance that people do need to be able to give, especially as educators or parents. You have to be able to sometimes have a certain amount of small docheh to say, no, I'm the parent. right There's a certain degree of familiarity maybe which is kept distant, but at the same time, the right hand should be stronger than that. Mm-hmm. So even if there's left, there needs to be more right than left, more drawing near than pushing away. But furthermore, he says, if you envision the left pushing and the right drawing only in the plane of distance, you don't get the whole picture. Because really, if you take like a coffee cup, right, and you push with the left hand and you draw near with the right hand, it turns. In other words, change happens in the one that you are dealing with. In order to help affect change in somebody else, they're the only ones who can change themselves, but our role, at least on an educating side, has to be—it's not enough left, right, left, right. When you use them together, then you can have change and turn. Okay. So let's use that as our background for dealing with left and right over here. So that first light that was created—this corresponds to the right. Vehulekets hayamin. You may have noticed Yeshlach lekets hayamin meshichenu l'vodos machakekets shuasa. Right. May God send to the end of days, but why the end of the days, Mishichenu, it should be Yamim, not Yamin. This is Yamin, the right hand. It's coming back to the end of time when the Yamin will be fully dominant again. Okay? Yeah, I know. You get Kabbalistic even starting with the Psha. Vayehi so. or, the aspect of Vayehi or, that's the left. That's small. Okay, which small sheyotze min hayamin. Okay, so the Zohar just went. I was gonna say another step. This is not just another step. Just shifted the whole conversation into yet another plane. Because yehi or vayehi or, he says that's right and left. We don't we don't need to know more than that. That's enough for us to feel, let's say, a relationship with God that is warm and drawing us near and love and a relationship with God that also keeps a distance and awe and says, you have to serve me. And okay, you have to do what's right and wrong. There's schar and onesh. All right. But these are not just two separate expressions of right and left. Yehi or vayehi or. God said there should be light, and there was light. This is left born of right. This is not just a left reality and a right reality. This is the left, this, the side of, let's call it din, but I'm not sure that that's correct, that comes from the love. Let's call it yira that comes from ahava. That's the relationship. OK, that's very different. And he says this is one of the yesodos. This is a fundamental concept that it is from the right that the left is born. Yehi or yehi or. And that is the first vayahi in Torah. This is telling us something very, very important. If every vayahi is a lushan of tsar, but vayahi is telling you that the tsar is born of the simcha. It is a product of the simcha. It's not a separate power. It's not something that, well, if you can only overcome that, you can get to the other. It's, it's inherent to it. That the simcha is inherent to the pain. They're tied up together. You couldn't have that. The, the, the pain has a purpose. And the purpose is the simcha. That's an astonishing thing. You'll never read the beginning of Brashas again. That's for sure. It's not the same way as you read it before. OK. It's amazing that it's the essential even before the chet. It's absolutely. It's beyond it's before the chet. You notice what creation. the first Gemara said. Yeah. You notice what the first Gemara Rabbi Eisman calls it a foreshadowing of the Chet, but it's, it's clear that it's not just a foreshadowing. It is built in. Yeah. It is absolutely, absolutely. built in from the beginning. Exactly. These two Gemaras already told us. First of all, they said, well, what about all the other days? It's not only the first day that says vayhi; it's the second and the third, right? Vayihi, vai Vayi, there's always a vaihi. Okay, so that's one indicator. Uh, Another indicator is Hashem looked ahead and saw there would be Rishayim. So this structure of the world absolutely is built into the world well before the chet ever happened. This is really, uh, we've said it before, the chet almost seems inevitable. Mm -hmm. It's not inevitable, there's free choice. There's massive free choice involved. We have it as well. But it is the way God created the world, is that there is this, this tension between left and right. But to use Rav Samcha parable, that's what changes us. The tension between the left and right is how we turn and change. Which brings us to other ideas we've spoken about that have to do with tshuva and geula, and the place where a baal tshuva stands, even a perfect tzaddik doesn't stand. There's the importance of our change and our role of free will in that change, which demands free will also to sin, in order for that change to be possible, that is built in from the beginning, absolutely. Right. And do, 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 Not I only that, I feeling. went back and I found that I probably shouldn't say this. I went back and I found an element of restricting in every single day of creation. It's right out there. It's not, I mean, right out there. Not all of it is in the Pesukim straight out, but it's, you know, you don't have to look much farther than a rashi. I was listening to Rabitz and Hiller, and she was pointing out over and over again that gelos, tied to, it's our restriction is the thing that reveals. Yeah, le galot, yeah. to reveal. So glad to hear if it, if it from I, a higher source than myself, no, that's for sure. That process <laughs> of restriction and. Yeah. This is mi Mitraim. We came from Mitzrayim, from the narrow place, the constrained place, Lo Orgadol, to great light. OK. OK. So now I'm going to come back to Rabbi Nyman's text in Edred's own. So we see that the root, sort of the, the first, the index case of every vayahi in Torah is the first one, we know that principle, which is Or, let there be light, or and there was light, the light which God put away, stashed away on the first day that would have allowed people to see from one end of the world to the other. And therefore, this is not 100% a sign of bracha, because the restriction of the light is the introduction of the dark. The fact that we have God-created darkness, this comes out from this aspect of the light which would have... Let's go back to our discussions on sun and moon for a minute. Remember we said the role of the moon is that it can shine the light of the sun into places where that light doesn't reach. But there was a light that has been hidden away that reached from one end of the world to the other, meaning the entire world could be bathed in the same light at the same time which now is not so. Now half the world has light, the other half has dark. Okay, so this is the, cre- so Hashem is creates dark. This is a different level of creation, but that only happens after the fact of the restriction of the light. Okay, now, if we consider that God, cre- the Holy One, blessed be he, created his world in order in order to shine his light and blessing and goodness onto the creatures that he would create. But because of the deeds, because he saw there will be rishaim, Hashem felt compelled to put away the light until such time as it would all be repaired. The hiding of that light is what we call tzar. Pain. Suffering. We might say then that pain or suffering of Vayehi. Every time it says Vayehi and that's pain. <coughs> it's not just tsa-ar, it's tsa-ra. it's the pain of that which is restricted. In other words, the place where the light could have been greater and it isn't. And therefore we are on a restricted diet of the pleasure, so to speak, because of our own deeds, in essence. That because of our own mistakes and problems, we are limited, and we feel that as pain. OK, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. I think it's also a tool you know, projecting. So, put our own strength. Yeah, it's all absolutely. That's, that's more the discussion of in the dark, right? That we, we may not get the, gla- the really thrilling results that are ob- as great-looking as in the light. But on the other hand, they're real. They're very real. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. There is a Gemara in Kiddushin. I want to share two things, really. One is a Gemara, and one is a Rashi on a Gemara. The Gemara in Kiddushin says, Mem Aleph Amud Aleph, De'amar Rav Yehuda Amar Rav. Yehuda, Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, Asur la'adam shi'ikadiz esha'isha ad Shiyir Enna. A man is not allowed to marry a woman until he has seen her. Hmm. Even though, in theory, you could send a messenger to marry a woman for you, you can't do that if you haven't actually seen her. You're not allowed to marry someone you haven't seen. Why not? Shema yireba dover megune v'tisgane alav. Tisgana alav. Lest he see in her, when he does see her, something megune, not so nice, and she become then a turn-off to him. I don't mean only sexually. like He look at her and not feel drawn to her. He'll feel repulsed in some way. V'rachmon Amar, How do we know that would be such a problem? Because God, the merciful one, said, V'ohavto l'reyacha kamocha. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. God wants you to love your wife. If you don't, your husband. If you haven't seen them first, there's a risk that then when you do see them, you'll see something you don't like, and you'll feel pushed away from them. And God says, "I want you to feel close to them, not pushed away." Okay, now there's a Rashi in Maseches Nida Tezayin Amud The Gemara is referring to a verse in Mishlei, and Rashi explains that the word in Mishlei, the the phrase in Mishlei, is referring to the intimate relations between a husband and wife, and he says. Some things don't belong in the light of day because they will bring to a sense of shame or despising. meguna He uses the language of the Gemara in Kiddushin. I didn't see anybody explain this. It happens coincidentally that I went to Shiorim a little bit apart and I heard this one and I said, that sounds really familiar. Didn't I hear that somewhere? Okay, And you see, he's, he took the language of the Gemara and Kiddushin and he uses it over here. He says, some things are private. They're not just that they're private in a closed room. Some things are private and should be in the darkness. Why? Lest he see something in her that isn't flattering and feel repulsed by that, pushed away by that emotionally. And the Musar of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, mentions on this, so you see that you shouldn't take an action that is liable to reveal the bad qualities in another person to you. You shouldn't be trying to see in someone else, you know, investigating, peeking, looking, hey, I wonder if, right? Don't do things that help you find the flaws in other people. That's called That's called like uh, shameful behavior. Because it brings out shame and, and pushing away of people, instead of drawing close of people. And I think it's interesting, then, that the darkness serves a double function. In the same way that we've seen in the past, m- a few years ago, two years ago, maybe three years ago, in the Parsha shiurim, we had a run of classes that kept coming to the idea that Hashem's uh, that that in order to draw close to Hashem, we need more filters to the revelation of Hashem because God's revelation is too overwhelming for our physical bodies. And depending on the level a person is at, they can they can see Hashem's revelation more clearly. But the filters then serve two purposes. They prevent as much of the light from reaching us, but they also allow us to face that light more directly. It seems like you can say the same thing about this relationship in the dark. We say, but why did Hashem give us a a world where so much is in the dark, where we're living through galas? Because Hashem saw there were going to be Rishayim who would come out. Hashem saw that we would not always do what was right. But if we're living in the darkness, it also hides some of our flaws. I think this is the truth. Mm -hmm. In other words, the darkness that we live in does create a distance between us and God. But even more than that, it allows us to get much closer to him. Without him looking at us, so to speak, and being repulsed by us. The small is doche, the yameen is mekareves. And the yamin is stronger than, the, the right is stronger than the left. Mm-hmm. And the left, I think it's an, it, it, it helps to get an idea of how we could relate to the statement of the Zohar that the, the left is a function of the right. The left is born of the right. That the darkness is imposed upon us because of the light to help us to have as much of it as we can. Yeah, I, it, a very different way of feeling that in, in the pain is the love, is the expression of the love. And also to remind us on our active side, when we talk about having choices, we need to be careful what we look at. When we say be careful not to look at the wrong things, there are a lot of layers to that. Including, not looking, we don't have to look at the bad in other people either. We should be trying not to see the flaws in other people to some extent. There's a time when you have to. Right? The Gemara said, don't marry a woman unless you've seen her first. So sometimes you're checking into something. We call that toelis, right? With Lashon Hara. Or seeing the kala with marriage. You can't marry two people off to each other if they haven't seen each other. Because God forbid they should see themselves afterward and not like that look. Um, I think let's stop here and next week we'll, we'll continue with the idea of the seeing um, hopefully with a little bit more on what we do look at and implementing the idea of look at the at this physical thing called and letting that Teach us how to look at what we should look at. Uri isem You should look at it. is misko mitzvot Hashem. And remember all the mitzvah of Hashem. Thank you. Story of Rus all starts with vayahi. Maybe I should have pointed that out. Okay, Not just that it's the first word in the Megillah. The entire story of Rus is a story of vayahi, a very great light coming out of very great darkness. Whether it's Rus herself coming out of a place like Moab. I mean Moab is really, you know <laughs> a person like Rus coming from a place like Moab. And and the things that Rus went through. You know, she married into this amazing family, and the father-in-law dies, and the husband dies, and they are impoverished, they have nothing, they're walking back to Israel. They're not accepted maybe with quite as warm a welcome as they might have been according to what everybody else thought and did nobody would marry her because it's true the torah says velo moavis but do i want to be the one to take a moavis home nobody else has a moabite wife right this is everything about it even she marries boaz and he drops dead. (laughs) Uh, What are people going to say about that? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, well, you see what happens. The Torah did say don't marry someone from Moab. You had to be the first. He lived a good long life, but still, right? So it's not like she was left now with this amazing, righteous husband. She wasn't. He was gone. She was still alone. She's still alone. Is a lot of alone and a lot of dark. Mm-hmm. She, had it shot. she had her children. But her children were still only very small children when they were born. Yeah. The, it's a story. A she grew up. I mean, she doesn't even get to. She grew old to see David HaMelech anointed king. But she didn't live long enough to see him secure on a throne. She only lived long enough to see him persecuted. It wasn't. The story of Rus is a story exactly of Vayehi, because it is also the story of the genesis of Mashiach and the genesis of the time of great light. It all starts there. There's a reason why Rus starts with Vayehi. It's not just the famine. It's the whole story. So that's why I said more the focus of of Shavuos, but important. Every story has a happy ending, but you gotta, you got to be willing to wait all the way to the end of the story. Some stories are very, very long. Mm-hmm. Even longer than that book I told you about. So, in that said, did she understand the purpose so that she could be happy even during the, the difficulties? It's an interesting question. She, I mean, I assume that what you're asking is not did she understand that there was purpose, but did she understand what the purpose was? Yes. Did she know that she was going to give birth to the future dynasty of kings? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. She didn't have that kind of... I think her old process, of to join Hashem, that was mm-hmm. her joy. I mean, the joy right. was... She right. yeah. You could have joy and still be uncomfortable along yeah. the way. I mean, I think that if... You know, mention that she lives... Tremendous loneliness. She has Naomi. But how, why does she have Naomi? It's, she's choosing to connect herself to somebody. Mm-hmm. It's really coming out of her own effort. Mm-hmm. Completely her own effort. All of it. You know, I mean, yeah, Naomi advises her to go, but I can't even imagine what that took to do it. She clearly was not so enthralled with the idea at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dress up and sneak out into a dark field at night and crawl into this man's shed? He's a tzaddik. He was a show fate. Aside from her own personal behavior, which was so modest that <laughs> she modestly caught his attention by the fact that she was so modest. Yeah. For what that's worth, right? <laughs> like, I, you know, she's not gonna go sit by the men and eat by the men. I mean, over and over and over again, her behavior is so refined. It's so refined. And then Omi says, here's what I, here's the plan. I can't even conceive of what it took for her to overcome that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's—that is attachment in the dark, essentially, yeah. choosing to but be she, attached. She had already, you know, had a history of doing sort of the opposite. You know, leaving Moab. You know, was, she's doing the opposite of what the people of Moab do. You know, right. Choosing, she already made a lot of choices that were like the opposite of like what had yeah. been expected of her before. Right. Her motivations are not what people will think about her. Right. That's pretty clear. Yeah. When she decided things, it wasn't about what people would think about her. Yeah. yeah. OK. So that's how we got David. We brought the Mashiach. That's how mm-hmm. we got David. That is the, the birthplace of Mashiach is Rus. But it's a story that starts with vayihi, with pain.